0: The following audio is from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Mark chapter 6. I need everyone to have a phrase locked in your brain today. The phrase is God's got this. I didn't ask you to say it, it's just a phrase. Now say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God's got this. Okay, now say it like you mean it. One, two, three. Okay we're in a very familiar story, Jesus walking on water. When we think of this story, there's an image that many of us gravitate toward, which is what image? Not just the Jesus part, but but who do we think of when we think of Jesus for church kids? Who are you thinking of? If you grew up in the church, who else is prominent in this story? Starts with a P, rhymes with Eater. Thank you, Peter. He he steps out of the boat. Funny side note, Peter is not in this account. Peter is nowhere to be seen. It's the same account, different perspective. And what's interesting is that in the first, when Peter is scared to get out of the boat, he looks kind of foolish because he doesn't believe, he doubts, he starts to sink. We know that story. Guess who the source for Mark's gospel is? Guess who the person that Mark is talking to primarily? It starts with the P, rhymes with eater. Peter. It's odd to me that Peter, when he's sinking, doesn't include that in the story. But Mark was the first gospel that was written, and Matthew, when he was writing his account, would have known and read this account of Mark's. And Matthew said, Dude, Peter, you left out the part where you look boneheaded. I'm putting it in mine. And God's going to print it for eternity. But we're in Mark 6 today. So we gotta pray and learn how to live in a way where we can trust that phrase that God's got this. Let's pray. Father, we're coming into your word. It's a moment where. Your eternal truths collide with our temporary hearts. Father, so many of us, for me, Lord, for me, it's easy to be consumed with the things of this earth and this life. The bills, the non-bills, the retirements, the taxes, the parenting, the schooling, the homework, the dishes, the dishwashers, breaking, whatever it is, God, there's a, there's a million things that are fighting for my focus. Help us for this next short period of time to send those things down the river, and let our distractions fall over the cliffs so that we can hear from you. So that we can be saturated and soaked in the truths found in this passage. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Jesus had fed the 5,000. This next Sunday, we're going to feed 250, give or take, A few texted me. And then immediately, immediately after he does this amazing miracle and shows the disciples, I will provide, I care for my people, even their felt needs, at times, I want to meet them. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to where? The, the other side. All my greatest showman fans, give me an amen. You're like, what does that even mean? If you have never seen the greatest showman, you don't know, and you need Jesus. To Bethsaida. Jesus sent the disciples. He did this miracle, and he says, disciples, go to the other side. Who sent him? Jesus. To where? the other side. This is important. When he dismissed the crowd, his disciples are getting in the boat. They're going to the other side. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. Jesus is alone praying. I think at times we don't value that our souls need recharging. I know that many of you feel it because if I say, man, how are you doing? One of the most common answers I get is, I'm so busy or I'm so tired. I think that's my daughter. Is that my daughter? Oh, it's my nephew. That's right. Who's your daddy? My brother. (laughs) Jesus, the creator of the universe, Jesus, who sustains the world by the the power of his will, went up to a mountain to pray, to recharge. And I know we all know what recharging is because we all have these things, right? Right? And maybe you're like me, maybe you're not. Anyone here have wireless chargers? I love wireless charging, and I hate wireless charging. My phone primarily charges wirelessly. For those of you who don't know what that means, there's a little pad that you plug in the cord to, and you just set your phone on it, and then some sort of devil magic makes it battery charge up, okay? I don't know how it works. I just use it all the time. And, um, but the, the downside of wireless charging is that if your phone... Is askew, is crooked, is not quite placed just right, it won't charge. It can be on the devil magic tool, but it won't be getting the juice that it needs. So you'll pick up your phone when you put it down with 17%, you pick it up and it's got 14%, and it's been there for like six hours. And you think, you failed me. Now many of you feel like that in life. Like you just can never get charged up enough. That's why I know I don't need to explain charging. I don't need to illustrate charging because so many of us feel like depleted batteries. So many of us have so few moments where we can abandon and go to a mountain and pray. For those of you born in Florida, a mountain is where the crust of the earth is pushed up land masses. If you're not recharging and the the creator of the universe recharged, if God created a day for you to recharge and focus on Him, it's something that we need to take seriously. It's something that, that... totally separate from the spiritual components in the bible there's scientific research done on recharging yourself like the getting enough sleep is important for your spiritual life as well as your body getting enough sleep is important for your your physical life and your spiritual life and your marital life recharge if jesus recharged you need to recharge here's the thing i love this jesus sends his disciples away he goes to recharge and look what he gets to do right after Jesus charges up with God. After his time of prayer on the mountain. It says, when evening came, verse 47, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land. So he sent them before sunsetting. Okay, you guys go. We had dinner. You guys go across the sea. He goes up and prays. It's evening. The boat is at sea. It says he saw, Jesus saw they were making headway painfully. I don't know how he saw that. I would need binoculars. He does not. The wind was against them. Jesus sent these guys into a storm. Jesus sent them out there. Jesus, the creator, said, go across the sea. Jesus, the creator, sees them painfully trying to make it through this storm. And it says it was about the fourth watch of the night. That's 3 a.m. They've been going from sunset till 3 a.m., fighting against a storm. About that fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And then one of the oddest verses says, He, Jesus, meant to pass them by. Jesus sees his disciples, his beloved sheep, his his brothers in arms, doing this ministry uh, for him, with him, alongside him. And he sees them struggling. He had just been praying to God. And I don't know if that's the key. You pray to God enough, you get to walk on water. But I do know that every summer, every single summer, one of my first times at the pool, without without fail, you can catch me trying to walk on water. I don't know why. I've been doing it since before I even knew Jesus. I just look at that pool, and now that I'm in Christ, I think, Lord, today is the day. (laughs) And every time I try it, sometimes I'll do the one where you just, you say, I'll bowl to the sky. If I have the faith of a mustard seed, that mountain, I could cast it into the sea. Lord, I got the faith of a half a seed. I just want to take a one and a half a step on this awada. And I'll take that step just like believing. And I believe in right to the bottom. And then in my flesh, I say, okay, the Lord didn't want to answer that prayer. Maybe he just wants me to apply myself, so I'll do what all of you, I know guys have done, I, I'm not being sexist, but I'm, I see more of my sons do this than my daughter, where you get a running start, and you say, if I can just slap the water hard enough with my foot, it'll pop me up, I'm going to do it this summer, because I do it every summer. Back when I lived on oceans that had these things called waves, for you West Coast Floridians, a wave is when the ocean. Never mind. I used to stand in front of the waves and be like, calm yourself. Because Jesus said that. Actually, in the Greek, he said, shut your mouth to the waves. I don't know how you get the power to walk on water. I've read scripture, claimed scripture, claimed the promises of God. I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I sink every time. The only time I've come close to walking on water was at Hume Lake Christian Camp because they made a man-made lake, and they cut, cut all the trees down. And when the reservoir was at a certain level, you could find a tree stump about this far below the water. And when I would find that tree stump, I would go there, and this camp would be thousands of teenagers, and I would just stand on that, on that tree stump right at the surface of the water and just dance. It was in the middle of the lake. It just looked like I was walking on water. I'd throw up all the Byzantine Jesus hand signs, gang signs for Jesus. And people would be like, look! And then they would all discover it, and my secret would be blown we see this and we think, that's a remarkable story. The Bible translators say, this this story, they put a little note in your Bible that says, Jesus walks in water. It's not the primary point of the story, of course, but I, it's what we're drawn to because it's supernatural, super powerful. If I were to title this story in those little bold titles in my Bible, I would put, why did he want to pass them by? Why did he send them into a storm, looked at them struggling and say, I desire to pass them by? Because some people within the church will think and believe that Jesus either doesn't care or can't help you in your situation. That he's passing you by because you've been in a storm for a long time. Some of you more than the nine hours that these guys have been rowing. Some of you have been in a storm for a long time. And Jesus does these weird miracles. Like, there's not a ton of rhyme or reason other than the fact that he wants to show people at certain times that he's going to meet this particular need. Like he feeds thousands of people. And then the next night, he says, but I'm going to let you guys row forever. And then he says, and I'm just going to pass on by. Now, I don't know what walking on water works like. I'm not Chris Angel or Jesus. All that I know, sinners, all that I know, there's devil magic right there, Chris Angel, is a magician guy. All that I know is that he was walking on water after recharging in prayer, and he sees people struggling. Now, here's what I do know, that when a storm hits your life, you're more likely to recognize your need for God than if there is no storm in your life. What I do know is that when life gets hard, you will tend to go one of two ways, just doubt and run and anger or more faith, more trust, more belief. Do you believe that God's got this no matter what your storm is? Whether it's a temporary brokenness, whether it's a financial need, whether it's a health issue, can you say that God's got this? Last year, some uh, this thing happened, I'd shared with you when it was going on, it was all over Facebook, about a young pastor who had, had taken his own life. Now in 2015, his father was the pastor at the church, and it was about five miles from where I was pastoring, and his father got diagnosed with cancer, and the church created this slogan when their pastor was diagnosed with cancer, the slogan was this, God's got this. That that father ended up passing away from cancer. Guess what their slogan still was? God's got this. The son stepped up. He's uh, about my age. He became the pastor at this church. And he had struggled on and off throughout his life with depression, with, with mental illnesses and struggles and spiritual battling and warfare within. Last year, he took his own life. Guess what the slogan of the church is Today. God's got this. The this, this story was very compelling to me um, because he was like a younger on the spectrum age pastor. He had tattoos, and he had a wife, and he had little kids, three little kids. I used to have three. I got many more. I got a bonus kid now. Had, so I looked at him and his wife, and his wife's about my wife's age, and he was about my age. And I thought, dude, you left your wife, man, and your kids, and I follow, uh, I follow the wife on Instagram now. And it's heartbreaking. Went to his grave today. Went to Drew's grave today for the first time. Talked to him. Wondered if he could hear me. I don't know, but I do know one thing. God's got this. Another post. Had my dream house with my dream husband. He was at, living in his dream job. Now I'm living in a spare bedroom. Don't have anything that we used to have. But I do know one thing. God's got this. This is a young woman in her... 30s, with three kids, widowed. Now that's a storm. Uh, I don't care how you define a storm of life. That's a storm. And I don't blame the husband. Uh, There are dark times. Sometimes when you're serving, when you're pursuing God, it's not always going to be easy. God is not a cosmic genie here to answer all of your prayers and calls. God is God, and you are a shadow. You're, you're frail. Your existence is hanging by a thread at all times. Literally, um, I have one child who could be taken out by a peanut. Like that's how frail we are as humans. Well, not me. I don't have a peanut allergy. You have a Mack truck allergy, probably. I see these Floridians riding their motorcycles on the 75 freeway without a helmet, and I see them, and I just think, I hope you're A positive, because I am, too. Like, donate. We, we're fragile Our life is contingent on the sustainer. When you're in your storm, Jesus is not there uncaring. Jesus cares. Sometimes it will feel like he's walking by. Sometimes he might pass you by because he wants you to recognize your need for him. Some people say that Christianity is a crutch for the weak. I disagree, it's a terrible metaphor. It's not a crutch for the weak. I've said this before. I'll say it 100,000 times. Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. It's a resurrection for the dead. It's, your heart was stone It needed to be flesh. Your brain worked a certain way. God had to rewire it another way. It's not a crutch. By the way, like, kids don't even use crutches nowadays. It's so sad. Not only do we give out participation medals, we give out these little buggies. When I was a kid, if you broke your ankle, you got crutches, and you had to get calluses and blood under your arms. Now they give you a go-kart with a brake on it. I mean, that looks like fun to me. I want to break my ankle so I could sleep downstairs and get a go-kart. Jesus isn't a crutch. He's a flatbed. You're dead. You, he rolls you onto it. He puts the electrocution pads on you. He hits zap now. He gives you new life where you had death. So when someone says Christianity is a crutch for the weak, they'll say it's a resurrection for the dead. I wasn't just weak. I was dead. I didn't just need help. I needed everything. Storms reveal that within us. Difficult times reveal that within us, that you are helpless. You're helpless like a child. I have children, many of them. I talk about them all the time because it's my phase of life. Children are helpless, helpless beings. Helpless beings. Um, I'm confident, very confident, that if you took out everyone on the planet except for my children, they would not last more than a week. That includes my 10-year-old, and that includes her 21-year-old. Yeah. Like they wouldn't know how to kill anything because Fortnite isn't real. Right? The only kids that would live are like the kids that are out there right now eating palmetto hearts because their daddy taught them to do that. It'd be a bunch bunch of Floridians and like Tennessee hillbillies. That's it, dude. All the city dwellers were like, dude, how do I live? Where's my quiche? My kids, uh, I'm not even sure that the majority of my kids know how to clean things properly. And as a parent, we love them. We teach them. We show them, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. As a parent, you provide for them. You cook for them. You slave over and over, day after day for them. And they're helpless. Helpless. Uh, They would die without us. This is the phase that we are in with Christ. You are the dumb children. If you think that it's that me looking at my kids saying, hey, clean this up, and I give them a paper towel, the first time they're cleaning stuff up, does it get cleaner or dirtier? I don't know how they do it. The same way that Jesus multiplies bread, they multiply mess. But it's like, there's the teeny mess. Here's a wet paper towel. I turn around for one second, and I turn back around, and they're painting the wall with a Sharpie. I don't know how. It's just what they do. The chasm between you and them is infinitely closer than the chasm between you and God. The amount that you need God, and this is why I believe at times he will say, go to the other side, because something has to shake and rattle you up so that you stop just fighting and not looking up for help. The best thing, though, it's the craziest thing. This story is wild. He means to pass them by, and then it gets crazy. He sees them when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. So now we have to deal with the fact that people in the Bible believe in ghosts. Just chew on that for a little bit, okay? Because I know some of you do. Some of you are like, there's a ghost here, and I don't know. I just believe in the Holy Ghost. I'm good with that one. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. They all saw this figure walking on water, and they were terrified, which makes sense, if you saw somebody walking on water, you'd probably be scared. I love, um, I love certain aspects of terror, but I'm not a huge horror film people. Some of you like those. The reason I know is because we're on like Saw number 700, right? It's like, how many times can they saw something? Um, but they do. And there's these scary shows, scary this, scary that. Um, I don't know why scaring people is fun though. Does anyone love scaring other people? I love it, I, I just love it. My wife hates me, I mean it when I scare her. I used to scare my stepmom, Debbie, because um, they had the perfect house for it. She wouldn't know that I was there. And their garage opens up, and there's stairs, like five, five or six feet, there's stairs that go up. And then there's this coat closet. And, um, and they had this mask this one time, and I put it on. It was a Frankenstein mask that looked like it was made by Frankenstein, OK? Like, he, like Frankenstein was like, me make mask ugly. And it was like uglier than normal, Frankenstein. And I, I was in the coat closet. And it was—I left it cracked so I could just sneak out. And, and my stepmom Debbie, she came in, and she was just past the coat closet. And I came out full bore, like 13 years old. So I was only like seven foot two back then. And I would just—I did the full like body language into it. You know when those when kids cry and they don't breathe, right? That's my stepmom. Her hands were just moving like she was Usain Bolt with no oxygen. So scared. So scared, so face. And, um, and finally, she just just shrilled, let it out, and then I realized that she realized it was me when she started hitting me in that head. just beating me. So here's the thing: when it, when it says "terrified" in the Bible, what are you thinking? Because we read this Bible like it's a, oh, it's just a nice little story. They saw Jesus walking on the water, and and they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. They were all terrified. But because we've King James, the Bible, we tend to think that they're like there in the oceaneth, and they seeth the ghosteth walking alongeth the watereth. And they were terrified, so they cried out, Oh, my, But I've seen people cry out. I've seen my stepmom thinking it was a Franken-franken ghost. That's what I picture is going on here. Petrified, mortified, stupefied. Immediately. Immediately he spoke to them because he saw what was going on. He wanted to comfort them. I didn't want to comfort my my, my stepmom. I said, no. She deserves this. She introduced me to the lost boys and that scarred me. So you get this. You own this. You give me vampires. I give you Frankenmonster. But Jesus says, take heart. It is It is I do not be afraid. Fears. Is, Fears is the opposite of faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is when you understand that he is greater than the thing that you're afraid of. And this is where you're normally we have Peter and we'd have this great sermon called step out of the boat. First time I ever gambled was at the Del Mar racetracks in California. I bet on a horse its name was step out of the boat and I won. I think that's God priming me to be a pastor later in life. And that's every servant out of this. Well, you got to step out of the boat. Yeah, well, step out, get out. Peter's like, "No, man, we just shrieked like a bunch of scared preteens," and Jesus got in. Jesus said, "It's me. Don't be afraid." And he got in the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What? Mark's saying. They were amazed at this Jesus walking on water, jumping in the boat, wind stopping. They were amazed because they didn't understand the bread trick. Bread trick. You gotta scroll back. That was last week. What's he doing? Now, here's the thing. If, If you want Jesus in your boat, if you want Jesus in the midst of your storm, you've gotta go where God has told you to go. And that will not often be comfortable. They went into a nine hour storm. Nine hours. That's six hours more than Gilligan. A nine-hour storm. Some of you have been in a much longer storm, and here's the thing. Jesus, at times, may pass that situation by because he wants you to row until your arms are exhausted of rowing, and you say, I can't do this without you. I can't parent enough without you i can't be a good husband or wife enough without you i can't make it through this day without you because there's all these things that try to get us through our day and pick us up like all you need is coffee and jesus false all you need is jesus i love coffee but when we make these quips i don't know god is going to send us into storms not to punish us, not to torment us, because he's trying to give us life and life everlasting, because he wants us to be in the place where we can finally say, I'm not just weak in need of a crutch. I need saving in everything. I need you to rewire my desires. I need you to rewire my thinking. I need you to spark life into my soul. How do you get that? You got to go where Jesus tells you to go. I was thinking about a first service. Um, one of the parents was here of a young girl um, who's come up here, one of the missionaries that we support. She's in her 30s and she decided to give her life to another country. Now, I don't know about you, I've got one vision for my daughters, nuns, I tell you all the time. Bella, Savannah can be nuns. You guys want your kids to go to college, I want my kid to go to the convent. That's it. But seriously, what if my daughter comes to me one day when she's 19, 20, 21, and says, Daddy, the Lord's calling me to go serve in the mission field. I'd be like, cool, as long as it's in the mission field and somewhere safesville. What if she says, no, daddy, daddy, my my father in heaven's called me to go to Iraq, serve, to love people. And I'm not talking about, like, my daughter going there to be a, like, a weird soldier thing. I'm saying, like, to go there and just feed the poor, care for the orphans. How do I, how do I swallow that as a dad? Because I should be a Jesus-y dad. I talk about Jesus, love Jesus, think about Jesus, pray to Jesus, read the Jesus book every day. What if my daughter says, Jesus told me to go here, Daddy? Is that, is that something that I would want to deter her from? Some of you are like, Jesus, you, he would never call me to go to Iraq. You're probably right, because he's called you to go across the street, and you still haven't gone. I was helping one of our chapel family um, <clears throat> write a letter, because they're, they're doing something kind of unique. God is calling them to a new chapter of life. And they, were, they wrote this letter, and they said, can I send you a draft of this letter to raise support? I said, yeah, man, send me this draft. I'll read it. And I read it, and my basic response to this person was, dude, this letter is doo-doo. It sounds like a church letter written to church people for boring church things. I said, why don't you just say what you're doing? You're going to sell your house. I said, here's a better hook for your letter. 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked a rich man to sell everything and give it to the poor. Live all in for him. And that guy walked away. But this year, I'm not. This year, I'm selling everything I have because Jesus told me to do it. Some of you are thinking, what? Sell your house? Some of you that own an older house are like, yes, Lord, sell my house. How many of you could get rid of a house for Jesus? How many could, some of us are like, I can't even get rid of a bagel for Jesus. Like five bucks a morning. What if, what if Jesus asked you to get rid of something like that? Now, whatever it is, here's all I'm saying. If you want to be where Jesus is going, if you want to be able to see Jesus on the horizon of your life in your storms, I promise you, you have to be going the direction that he has called you to go. How do I find out that direction? You be in the Word, you get prayer, you be in community, ask other people, hey, this is what I'm sensing from God. Do you, what do you think? Can you pray with me about this? Can we get a confirmation from the Holy Spirit about this? I want to know. Because God will call some of you to do a, things that are far. Some, God will call some of you to do things that are close. But if you want Jesus to enter into your boat, The surest way that I know is to be living for him on mission. And it may not be going to Iraq. It may not be sending your child to Iraq or Malaysia or India or whatever it is. It may be that the next time you're walking through Publix and you see someone there that's going through a hard time, you just pray for them, a stranger. It may be that you see someone and you can just tell they're overwhelmed, hair disheveled, people screaming all around them. We call them mothers. It may be that you just say, hey, um, can I buy you? your groceries to bless you today? And not that they can't afford it, but because mothering is hard, right? When I go back to this, this young mom, widow, who is posting, God's got this, God's got this, God's got this. And I think in my legalistic religious brain, I think, how could he do that to her? And then I remember, no, like, life gets hard. Mental illness is real, It's not just something we write off as some spiritual malady. Like, there's definite physiological and spiritual battles that will rip humans apart from the inside that everyone around us can't see. So I I get it. I get where he's coming from. But this mother's strength is crazy. Like, I think the Lord keeps me alive so that my wife doesn't murder one of my children. That's what I think. Not that you would, babe. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, She'll go all Fortnite, IRL on these kids in real life. Here's the thing, you guys. No matter what the storm, no matter what the call, if you want Jesus in your boat, press in. Row until your arms give out. Fight until you can't fight. And just give up as soon as you can, because that's when Jesus comes in. Well, Pastor, what if he doesn't show up? You're still clinging on to something, just like I do. See, we're addicted to doing things on our own. We're addicted to wanting to earn our own way. We're addicted to being strong enough. We're addicted to pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, and that is the very opposite premise of life in Christ. That, that phrase that people say, God only helps those who help themselves, is not in the Bible. It's a song. It's somebody made up. If God only helped people who, didn't, who helped themselves, none of us would have God. He helps people who are jacked up, who are desperate, who are weary. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for Him. Because then we will have faith. So go across the sea, go across the city, go wherever God is telling you to go. That is the only way that I know where you can find Jesus climbing into your boat. And I'm less concerned with how amazing you are with walking out of the boat, because I've tried every summer since probably 1983. And I've yet to walk on water. But I don't care. I care about who's in my boat. If you want to be the God of your own life and control everything, and you call on Jesus only when you need some convenient help through something, he he, he might be there. He might come in the boat. But here's what I know for sure. It's more likely when you're living for him. Praying for Matt, He's got cancer or growth. But cancer's attacking Matt. hate cancer. Guess what Matt said when he had his five-year all clear? God's got this. And then he had to get his kidney removed. Guess what Matt said when he had to have his kidney removed? God's got this. And then they find something on his bladder. I has to get removed. Guess what I'm going to say? God's got this. He might not want to hear it. He might punch me. He's big. I'm bigger. But God's got this. When people say, how are you feeling? Well, I'm tired. I have not had a moment of total health in my family since November. My wife's either been laid out with her brain cyst, or my kids have been just expelling things from their body that are demonic, or my baby has a fever. But God's got this. It's like a fever. Because what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Worst thing you could what? Starts with a D, rhymes with I. Die. What's the best thing that can happen to you? Starts with a D, rhymes with I. If you're in Jesus, and I know some of you it's hard, and for me it's hard. I wanna see my kids grow up. I wanna see my daughters grow up to be amazing mother nuns. I wanna see my sons grow up and do something besides Fortnite and video games. They read a book. I want to see grandkids and spoil them. I think that's so much fun. I can't wait to have, be a grandpa and just get my grandkids and just plug Red Bulls and sugar and then send them back. Like that's, I want to do what's being done to me. I want to live, but I'm ready to die. More importantly, are you ready to go where Jesus tells you to go? Because this is comfortable. And you're like, where do I even start? I can give you a couple places that we just bang the drum on and it doesn't matter if you listen or not. It doesn't matter to me. But here's the thing. I'm going to bang the drum again. If you don't know where God is calling you, try things until he starts to point you in a direction. Try things. If you're like, okay, I want to help out. I want to be part of a church family. I can't do anything. Why don't you help us cook next week on Sunday night and bring food and serve the people down there and then clean up? Try that. If you, like one person, literally their wife told me, my husband can't help cook. He burnt peanut butter and jelly this week. I don't even know why you're trying something like that. But I said, yeah, you're not on that team. We've discerned that from the Lord. You know what we really need? Our kids director's like, but we need teachers back here. I'm like, I know, Donna, I tell them. But you know what? They're sinners, and they hate children. I don't know. Let's be honest. I've got four. For some of us, this is the only time we get. If that's you, if this is your only child-free time, don't volunteer back there. Like the last thing we want is a parent who's already wound up with Hannibal Lecter or leanings back there, okay? But you're like, I haven't served. I'll go serve back there because those kids need Jesus. And guess what? Those kids are listening. It's not like us because we've made this children's thing a hundred times. And we like, go up one teacher a year. Maybe you're like, I, I, I am Hannibal Lecter with kids. I can't cook for nothing. Can you clean? Can you paint? Can you serve? Can you stack chairs? Can you run sound? Can you play an instrument? Maybe you have the voice of an angel, and you're, every week you're back there thinking, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I'm too busy for that. Too busy for loving the Lord? Well, you know, I love the Lord in my shower. Fine. I'm glad you could do that by yourself. Some of us need you. Because right now, I think some of us are just a Frankenstein, we're like a Frankenstein body. We need more of us to say, where are you calling me to go, God? And I'm excited. I hope God calls more people to sell their house. I hope God calls people to go serve around the world. I hope God calls people to give up and say, you know what? I'm quitting my own out eating. I'm not going to buy anything out anymore. I'm going to make everything in so I have more money to give to the poor in our community. Well, how do I do that? You don't understand. I've got kids. I've got this. Yeah. Man, bring those kids. You want your kids to be on mission for Jesus? Guess what? It's not by just telling them. If I've learned anything in 10 years of parenting, telling your kids something never works. They they end up doing what you do. If you're like, I want my kids to be moral people who love Jesus and read the Bible, the best way is, guess what? To be a moral person who loves Jesus and reads the Bible. If you want your kids to step out and feed the poor, guess what? They they need to see their mom, their dad, to step out and feed the poor. If you want your kids to care for orphans and and welcome people into your family, guess what? You've got to live on mission for God. Let your kids watch and learn. We call it discipleship. It's just a church word for follow the leader. Pastor, I don't know where to start. Try anything. If you can pass a background check and aren't a felon or creepy, you serve the kids. Or creepy, no mustaches back there. If you're like, I don't like kids, sign up and help people do food stuff. Help Lori with the blessing bags. She's a one-man army of cooking. She probably texted about being on the food team, and she's already feeding hundreds of people through our generosity, through her gifting and passion. But we need more people. If you want Jesus to be in your boat, live on mission for him, and just look around and call out, but take heart. That means be bold, have faith, take courage. Don't be afraid of what God might call you to do because the things that God has in his presence are greater than anything that could threaten you in this life. We're hanging like a shadow that's passing. We'll all one day be gone very soon, very soon. Like flowers fade, our lives will be gone. We will all be a memory three generations from now. No one will remember our names, are what we did. But we have an opportunity today to stand in a place and walk on a path where God has sent us so that his presence will enter into our lives, whether it's the calm seas or the tsunamis that are trying to crush us. God will be with you. He's got this. Let's pray. Father, help us to feel the brevity, the shortness. Help us to know that that we are one allergy or one accident away from meeting you face to face and help us to be driven god to not just contently sit on our hands and and consume more jesus information but to go out and be inspired to go across the sea even if we see the storm clouds to go across the street to go across the city to go across our nation to go across our country to give up whatever you tell us to give up lord help us to have a the reality of that song, that better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your presence than thousands not. Help us to understand the reality that when you send us, there you will be with us to the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen.